Well, let's pray, and um, we're going to look at Hebrews 11 this morning. Lord, we thank you for yet another day. We thank you for days of sun. We thank you for days of cloud. We thank you for hot. We thank you for cool. We thank you for days that just go well. And Jesus, today we choose to thank you even on days that don't go the way we intended. Lord, we choose to thank you in seasons of hurt. We choose to thank you in seasons of blessing and confusion. Jesus, we choose to worship you no matter what our circumstances are because we are convinced you're worth it and that your heart towards us is good even when we don't see it. And so God, stimulate our thinking, our feeling, our living as we look at the lives of people who have followed you with faith. And we love you and thank you for the opportunity to worship you even this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in a series called By Faith, looking at Hebrews 11 this summer, taking a break from Romans, which Romans is probably the clearest explanation of the message of Jesus, other than the message of Jesus given in the Gospels by Jesus himself. And the reason we paused here is because at the end of Hebrews uh, of Romans 11, you see that there's this group of people who are following God. Now, we're taking this summer to look at those lives. The lives of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and of Noah and of others who walked with God. And they're given us, if you've been here, they're given in this list because the church, Hebrews 10, is in trouble. They're in a season of persecution, confusion, and they don't know what to do always. So the writer writes to them, look, when you feel like giving up on God, and we do at times, don't we? When you feel like maybe your faith isn't what you thought it was going to be, and we feel like that at times, don't we? especially when trouble comes. He writes this list of people and says, don't forget them, and he talks about them to stimulate our faith. And I hope it's been helpful, uh, uh, the series so far. Well, it's kind of cool when things line up with what you're going to talk about. um, Our family was in San Diego, uh, which is not bad. And we were in San Diego for a week, and I spoke at Park Hill Church last Sunday and was there for a prayer tour Maybe you don't realize it, but we're a church that believes in fueling new churches. And so Evan Wickham, I don't know if that sounds familiar, he was the worship pastor at Westside. Well, he's from San Diego. And so they've been dreaming for four years to go back to San Diego to plant a church. So you and I were a part of it. I showed the video last week. We've given $10,000. That's the first gift. We'll probably do more to help fuel the work. People that we know and love are down there serving. And so we were on a tour Wednesday, and the tour ends today, but I'm here, obviously. And we went all around San Diego praying for different parts of the city, and Evan would feed us some information about what's going on and what we could pray for. It was, it was great. It was one of those things, the next church we plant, I want like 600 of us to go on one of these prayer tours. It's powerful, seriously. Um, but, but we started at Maranatha Chapel. This may not mean anything to you. Evan Wickham first started encountering Jesus at a church called Maranatha Chapel. His dad is a worship pastor, like like Brandon. And by faith, his dad, when Evan was a teen, uh, took a, a pay cut and went to a much smaller church called Maranatha Chapel because God was leading them uh, to, to, to San Diego. So Evan took us all, and we were in the very youth room that he began to first encounter Jesus and grow and get the sense and calling that he was going to follow Jesus and, and be like his dad and help lead 
in worship. And so it's cool, full circle. And then Evan points to his son, Gavin, who's sitting there like in the middle. He's like, just hit me. I was Gavin's age when God got a hold of my heart right in this room. And you think, wow, what a legacy. A dad who's chosen to follow Jesus and steps out and lives by faith. His son, Evan, sees it, participates in it, and now full circle. Now Evan is an adult and married and has five kids and his whole family sitting there. And now they're stepping into the faith story and father and son and father and son and family. And it made me think, yeah, what a blessing. God is faithful to every generation. He's faithful. And the Wickham family stepping into God's faithfulness. I mean, they were living here in Portland and left school and left friends and all of that. They've been living in various homes till they could find a house to buy. And right now they're hopping around and school's ready to be started. And they finally found a place like right when we got there. It's a story of faith in God and trusting that Jesus is going to show up and be faithful to them. Now, the question to ask is, why, when you hear stories like that, why fully commit yourself to follow Jesus no matter what? Like, why? Well, we're going to look at a story of a family in Hebrews 11 on how God touched Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how they learned from each other and how you and I are called to learn from the people who are before us so that we can go forward in Jesus. But I think it would be a shame if we talked about Evan and his church plant and they're praying today um, and not pray for them. That would, that would be mean. All right, so let's just pause and, and write down, if it helps you remember, Park Hill Church. You can go to their website, see some information. Let's pray for them. Lord, thank you for Evan and Sandy and their children and the others that you call to step out, trust you to plant this new church in the heart of downtown San Diego. And God, even as they gather, literally right now, in a building that you've provided, as they start their vision series, looking at the letter to the Ephesians as the groundwork for who you're calling them to be as a community, as they risk everything with a little cash, but all of you, God, we stand with them and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done in their world as it is in heaven. We pray that the very dreams that you've stirred in the leadership's heart about the needs of San Diego and how you're raising up a group of people who love Jesus to stand there and say Jesus loves you and, and he's here for you and to demonstrate the good news in everyday life. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to raise up a group, especially of young people, to saturate a broken part of San Diego and to shine the light of Jesus to see many, many, many people choose to follow you and really live. Thank you that you're going to do that. You already want to do that. And so we want to say yes to what you're doing, Lord Jesus. And bless the Wickham family, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So be praying for Park Hill. Okay, so if you were here the last two weeks, just a quick recap. Two weeks ago, Nate talked about the life of Abraham. And what do we get from Abraham? Well, he shared a lot, but I want to highlight one thing that he said. Abraham lived a life of faith, and he was able to take these risks because he lived as a friend of God. He saw himself not as a distant follower, but he, he saw that God had come close to him. And so friend in the best sense of the word, not like, yo, homie, you know, let's hang out. He had a respect for God, but he realized that God had invited him to be a friend and close. And out of that relationship, because he knew God said, I'm going to promise you things, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you a family, even though Abraham and Sarah had no kids. 
they would follow God's direction no matter what. Even though it looked like for more than 15 to 20 years that there's no way it's going to happen, Abraham saw himself as a friend of God. And when you realize that God has called you close, it changes the way you live. And you see that in Abraham. He trusts God even though he doesn't see it. And then God does provide. And what's the name of Abraham's son? His son's name is Isaac. Yeah, it wasn't a trick question. It's in Hebrews 11. Isaac. And God gives them Isaac. And, and we saw last week as Kenny was sharing all sorts of things about Isaac. But one of the things I want to highlight and remind you of that Kenny said so, so well was that Isaac's faith impacted the people around him. And Abraham's faith impacted the people around him. In other words, my faith isn't just about me. Your, your living in light of who God is and who Jesus is is not just about you and your encounter or lack thereof. How you think and how you live is impacting everyone around you. Faith is personal, sure, but it's never private. It's always on display. And you see that in the life of Isaac. Isaac saw his dad and mom follow God, and so it impacts the way that he lives. So, so what else are we going to get about this family? We've learned that Abraham was a friend of God, and Isaac had a faith that impacted the people around him. Now I want us to look at a couple of verses in Hebrews 11. You could turn there. I have so many verses to share. Most will be on the screen. So just write down the references, and I love you enough not to get you everywhere this morning. Hebrews 11, 20 and 21. Let's read. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Kenny talked about that last week. Isaac has a couple of sons, and he blesses them. Then verse 21. Then Jacob, one of those two sons, when he was dying, so the writer goes to the end of Isaac's life and then the end of Jacob's life. When he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. Remember, Joseph is one of the many sons that he has. And worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff, which is just like ancient Hebrew and translated into Greek code word for when he was like so old, he's creaky. Okay, he's just like, he's barely hanging on. At the end of his life, he blesses his sons. So Isaac blesses his sons. Jacob blesses his sons. There are two things I want us to consider this morning about the nature of faith that are going to help you as you grow in following Jesus. Write them down. Number one, faith is a, it's a process. Faith is a process. It's not a product. It's not an instantaneous thing. I can't like throw it your way and you can't buy it. Faith is, is a process. Um, God is big. Duh. Okay, right? that's like <laughs> the biggest simplification. God is huge. So how do I be like Abraham and say, I'm a friend of God? Well, that doesn't happen in a moment. You experience his presence little by little. Narrative is most of the Bible. Most of the Bible are, is the narrative of people's lives. Why is that so helpful? Because if you read the narrative with a keen eye, you'll see that people get who God is over time. Faith is a process so in other words, none of us is going to experience the full life of faith in an instant. Pause. Which is why, if you're new to Jesus, you should not be discouraged when you feel like, man, they got it, and I don't seem to get it, whatever it is. God is coming to you. He has come to you, and He's coming to you in your own unique way. 
And so you got to give yourself, and hopefully you partner and don't resist, give yourself time to get to know this God who made everything and loves you and wants to lead and guide you. And don't be discouraged if you see someone who's like, they seem to get it and they seem to be on track. Well, that's your story too. You just don't see it yet. That is your story. God is working with you. Now remember, Abraham and Sarah, let's go to their story. We're going to look at their family. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. God gives them a child. And then I want you to see what happens to his son Isaac to show you that faith is a process. Genesis 25, you could write it down. Genesis 25, 21 and 22, I'll throw it on the screen. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Pause. Like father, like son. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have any kids. And that's Isaac's story too. And sometimes in life, you will go through things that your mom and dad or aunt or uncle or friend or neighbor. Challenges happen to everybody. It's just not you. Challenges come our way. And those challenges may seem like new to you and oppressive to you. You just need to know everyone's got their junk. Everyone's got their stuff. The detail's different. But Isaac is now wondering what to do. Look at what happens. The Lord answered his prayer. So God answers Abraham. Now God answers Isaac. And his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And the babies, because she has twins, jostled each one within her. One is enough. Any, any woman who carries two or, or three or, you know, Kate and eight, whatever. You're like, that's just like, wow, that's mind-blowing to me. The babies jostled, and she said, why is this happening? This, this no, there's no EKGs. There's, there's, no, there's, there's no test. She's just like, uh-oh, am I going to lose the babies? The babies are moving. What's going on? So what does she do? She went to inquire of the Lord. I, I just wanted you to see that. Abraham and Sarah learn of God. They go to God when things go sideways. Now Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, learn the process of faith. And when they hit a wall, they go to God as well. So they learn to grow in God. Remember, Isaac himself is a miracle child. So he's seen God be faithful to his parents, a.k.a. he's alive. And he, if you read the story, he's seen that God is faithful to give him a God-fearing wife in Rebekah. But even though they hit their road and they hit their wall, they don't give up on God. God speaks and God answers prayer, and that's the process of faith. Now, that's so simple, but I think that's actually so helpful. Your faith is a process, and God is inviting you to grow in it, and he gives you these opportunities. We call them tests. We call them trials. We call them heartache. We call them problems. We call it the devil. And God's saying, no, these are opportunities for you to grow in learning about me. What if we saw our most gnarly situation as a gift from God? And I don't mean to be lighthearted in your trouble. But what if you saw the same thing as rather than being evil, what if you saw it as a gift? Because God trusts you enough to put that thing your way, looking to see if you come to him. Because he is the answer. That's the journey called faith. So faith is a process. Second thing I want you to see, and this is like the counterpoint that is really important. Number two, 
write it down, faith isn't perfect. Nobody's faith is perfect. So faith in God is a process, but faith is never perfect. So if you read Genesis carefully, you realize Isaac learns to call on God in his trouble, and when his wife can't conceive, he goes to God. Now that's the good part. But he also picks up some of the negative aspects. So, so Abraham's faith isn't perfect, and how do I know this? Uh, Kenny referenced it last week. Uh, in, in Genesis 20, when, when God tells Abraham to move, he takes him to a town, and he happens to, ma- to marry a very beautiful woman. Sarah is described in Scripture as a beautiful woman. So he's scared because in those days, it's real simple. They just kill you and take your wife. That's, just, that's the way it goes. We're not as horrible in the Pacific Northwest as that. You know, you'll, wait till, you'll find a way to get her divorced and then you know, marry her. But, but then they just take you out. They just take you out. So what does he do? He lies to everyone around saying, she's my sister which is technically a truth. She's like a half-sister. Um, so, so he's kind of like skirting the line of truth, but he does it because he's afraid. Why? He forgets that God is going to protect him and his wife. And when you don't remember God, you do what seems best. So Abraham lies, and Isaac picks up on that pattern of behavior. Look at Genesis 26. I'll throw it on the screen. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I'm going to tell you. Just like God told Abraham to move, God tells Isaac to move. No problem. Great. Stay in this land for a while. I'll be with you. I'm going to bless you. And then he does the same thing he says to his father. To you and your descendants, I'm going to give all of these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. So Isaac obeys. He, He stays in Gerar. Jump down to verse 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my what? Sister, like father, like son. So Abraham's faith is not perfect, and neither is Isaac's, because he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca. I've got a beautiful wife, but she's like my downfall. People want to take me out because she is beautiful. So Isaac gets it partly right. Faith is a journey. God says, stay here. What does he do? He stays. Obedience. But not complete obedience because rather than trusting God that in this place he's going to protect him, he ends up lying. Well, he kind of saw his dad do that. So his faith is not perfect. The reality, and don't forget this, is when you read the Bible, everyone other than Jesus is flawed which is so helpful. I'm so grateful for that. It's not just me. Like, everyone's flawed. Abraham's flawed. Isaac's flawed. Jacob, we're going to see today, is flawed. Moses is flawed. Every person of dynamic, God-honoring faith is in process. And they're not perfect. And this is helpful. The Bible is something worth reading because it doesn't sterilize what's really there. You want to see weirdness? Just read the Bible. Because it tells the real story, not the social media story. Not the Photoshop story. You get the real story of people who try to follow God and get it right some of the time. And so can I just encourage you, you as a follower of Jesus, you're going to get it right sometimes. Which implies you're not going to get it right. 
And that's where God's grace is enough. So God graciously deals with Abraham. God graciously deals with Isaac. God, we're going to see today, graciously deals with Jacob. I put it this way. God's looking for a growing faith, not a perfect faith. Breathe in, breathe out, relax. You, as a Jesus follower, may not feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not there and I'm not up to... And I'm not saying be lazy and do whatever you want. And who cares? Because we're all going to fail. Do whatever I want. If you read Hebrews, that kind of line of thinking is just called foolish. Today, if you hear God's voice, the writer of Hebrews will say, don't harden your hearts as the other people called Israel did when they were in the desert in the time of testing. And then Hebrews says it again. Today, if you hear God's leading and guiding in your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't resist him. Don't go your own way. But you're not going to have a perfect faith. So let's look back at Hebrews 11, 20 and 21 in a little more detail. So by faith, said verse 20, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Of all the things that, that the, the writer of Hebrews can pick out of Genesis, what do we get? What does he give us? Because this is so important. If I were to tell your life story, all 50, 60, 70, 80, 25 years of your life, you don't know how many years you're going to get. There's no guarantee that you're going to quote, unquote, retire. Your life could be taken a year from now, five years from now, tomorrow. We don't know. But what would I say? What's the one thing that you would want me to say about your life? You only get one line. It's called a tombstone, and it's a limited text. What do you want said about you? Here's what we get about Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And by the way, look at the next verse, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he's dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped. In other words, what you get about the ancients, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the end of their life, not the beginning. Now, this is super instructive. You are where you are right now, but hear me. If you choose to follow the way of Jesus, if you go in his direction, if you choose to listen to the Holy Spirit who leads and guides and teaches and encourages, what you're going to find is at the end of your life, you can end well. What you get about Isaac, what you get about Jacob, is that they end well. Like, man, I want to be a dad like that. What do we get about these two dads? You know what you get? Not about their failures, not about their shortcomings, not about their business deals gone south or the wayward years. What you get is at the end, they've got kids, and they hear from God. If you read Genesis, they hear from God before they die, says, okay, Isaac, Here's what, I, here's what I'm about to do to Jacob and Esau. Give them a hint. They'll believe you. And prophetically, Isaac says about Jacob and Esau, this is what God's going to do in your future. I want to be a dad like that. At the end of my life, I got my kids and my grandkids, and I'm speaking blessing, not like blowing smoke or like wishful thinking. They're not wishful thinking. God is telling them as a father, you can speak my words to your kids. That's the kind of guy I want to be. And if you're a father, man, I hope that's on a goal. I'll be blunt. 
Who cares how much cash you leave your kids? If you don't give them faith in God, you don't give them anything. If they don't want to follow Jesus because they look at your life and say, like, if that's following Jesus, then you haven't given them squat. You can give them property. You can give them things. You can give them assets. And most, as every study has been done, most of that stuff, apart from God, they're going to blow it and probably destroy their life in the process. Wealth passed down to kids without guidance and wisdom is asking for trouble. That's reality. The greatest gift you can give your next generation, and if God doesn't give you a husband or a wife and doesn't give you kids, it doesn't make a difference. You're going to have people in your world that you can influence. The greatest thing you can give your employees, the greatest thing you can give your neighbors, the greatest thing you can give your friends is God life. It's Jesus. So that's what you get about these two. So let me ask you, if that is true, and frankly, I believe it is, what about you? What is your heart and your hope for your future? What do you want said about you? Now, now here, we, we got a couple more minutes, but I just want you to see this. Jacob is the perfect example of, because you're like, all right, thanks for the guilt trip. First, about Community Care Day. Thank you. And then now about the whole God thing, right? Thank you. Thank you very much. What do you see in Jacob? Because this is going to encourage your soul. Jacob starts out as a schemer. I'm going to throw some verses on there. We're going to look at Jacob's life really quick because it's chapter upon chapter upon chapter in Genesis. But let's just skim his life. Genesis 25, verse 29 and following. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, so he's a chef, Esau came in from the open country famished. So he's got his brother who's tired. He says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. Why do we find out it's red? I have no idea. It's, a, it's weird. As sometimes the Bible's full of, if it's a green stew, I, think, I, don't, I don't get it. So I'm famished. This is why he's called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is his birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. What a brother, Right? So he swore to him an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob. This might not mean anything to you. The oldest son in their culture gets double blessing. So if, if dad has $300 at the end of his life, you know, Esau, the older, gets $200 and then Jacob gets $100. He's entitled to double blessing. Now don't get too excited because the oldest son is also has double responsibility has to pay all the bills, take care of mom. So he's got, there's a reason he gets double because he's in charge. But, but that's the privilege of the older. All I want you to see, Esau's a fool for selling his birthright for red stew. Now if it was a curry, it's another story. But, but maybe it was, man. What do I know, right? <laughs> First curry. But, but that's, that's besides the point. Jacob, his own brother, is conniving his brother. The dude is a schemer. And, and this is not a one-off mess up. Look at Genesis 27. He steals his blessing. Isaac said to his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Pause. Jacob's now so old he's about to die. He wants to pass on blessing. He sends out the two boys and says, go get me something to eat and I'm going to bless you. Isaac now says to his son, how did you find it so quickly? By the way, this is Jacob conniving his dad. The Lord gave me success, he replied. Isaac says to Jacob, come near so I could touch you, my son, to see whether or not my, you're, you're my son Esau. So here's Isaac, and he wants to pass on blessing to Jacob and Esau. 
Jacob's already stolen his brother's first birthright, the inheritance. And now he wants to steal the blessing as well. So he, he clothes himself like his own brother. And verse 22, Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob. So his hearing still works. But the hands are the hands of Esau. His eyes don't work. He can't see that his, it's the wrong son. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. He took animal skins and deceived his dad. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. So dad gives him one more time to fess up. I am, he replied. Liar! He's a total bull-faced liar who's called a hero of faith. Schemer, conniver, liar, savvy. <laughs> Maybe you want him on your sales force. Not really. You don't want this punk on any team of yours because he's out for himself. So at this point, if I'm writing the Bible, I say, and God smash Jacob. But thankfully, I didn't write the Bible. I want us to, I'm going to skim. If you read Genesis 28, God comes to Jacob again and reminds him, you are a person of promise. In, in Genesis 32, Jacob spends a night in the presence of God. There's a phrase, he wrestled with God all night. This is not WWE. This is not, you know, this is not weirdness. He's in the presence of God. Close. Skin on skin, so to speak. And at the end of it, this is what Jacob says, I saw God face to face and didn't die. Jacob is not abandoned. In Genesis 33, we know that Jacob is in process of faith and he grows because he broke his relationship with Esau. Duh, Esau wants to kill him. So Jacob ran away for a lot of his life. But you see in Genesis 33 and following that Jacob repairs his relationship with his brother. Pause. Part of your growth in following Jesus is you become the initiator to bring healing in your family. God gets a hold of your heart and you lower yourself. And Jacob lowers himself literally and repents before Esau. And Esau, in a sign of maturity, says, come on, man, let's hang out. I don't hold a grudge. And God restores their relationship. In Genesis 37, Jacob believes that his son, Joseph, is brutally killed by a wild animal. His sons are lying to him. It's interesting. Jacob was a liar and his kids are what? Liars. But his heart is broken because he loved his son, Joseph. Here's what I want you to get. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that Jacob turned his back on God? So part of this journey and growth of faith, imperfect faith, is that over time we begin to see that God is bigger and greater than we would imagine. Early on in the story, Jacob probably would have left his faith. But now, at the loss of his son, he still follows and worships God. In Genesis 42 through 47, you see that Jacob loses, he gets, becomes really wealthy. God blesses his life. And he loses almost all of it because there's a severe famine in the land. And they don't even know where to get food. And so Jacob rose 
wealthy, important, and he saw lean times too, but he doesn't give up on God. And that is the journey of faith, is at the end of your life, you've stepped into God's faithfulness for so long that you're willing to hold on to Jesus even when it seems like Jesus has let go of you. So Genesis 48 is the last snapshot I want us to see. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So at this point, God restores Joseph to his father. It turns out he didn't die. His sons had lied. But he sees his son again. They don't have any food, but God uses Joseph to protect them. This is great. But now he's about to die. Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. And when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel, Jacob's name is also called Israel, rallied his strength. And he sat up in bed. And, and, and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me. He shares his story. End of his life. What is Jacob talking about with his boys? God. God appeared to me. And he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful increase in your numbers. And I'm going to make you a community of peoples. I'm going to give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. He speaks about the future. God told my dad, I got land for you. God told me, I've got land for you. Now I'm telling you, kids, God's got land for you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt, before I came to you here, will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now, now this is small, but i got to get you to catch this before we close. This is the episode that Hebrews tells us about. The writer of Hebrews doesn't give us all this conniving stuff, doesn't give us this liar stuff. It gives us one snapshot. At the end of his life, Jacob blessed the two sons of Joseph. Now, he had many more sons. All Hebrews wants us to know he blessed these two sons. Now, why, why is that important? If you don't know the story, Joseph, because he was sold into slavery, ends up with an Egyptian wife, foreign wife, and they have a family before he's reunited with his, with his dad. Now, in their culture, this line of blessing, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, is going to be passed down through people of faith. Here's the challenge. Joseph, one of his boys, now has a couple of kids that are outsiders. He married a foreign woman. These are Egyptian kids. They're excluded. They're not in the path of God's blessing. But hear this. Jacob had a relationship with God. You know what God tells Jacob? Even though your son, who had no control, your son Joseph was sold into slavery and given this wife and had this family, I, the God of blessing, am bringing these two boys in. They're excluded, but not in my book. Because Joseph has been faithful to me and I am faithful to my promise, I'm bringing them in. You probably learned when you were a kid, if you went to, to, to Bible school or Sunday school or whatever, that, that Jacob or Israel has, how many tribes are there? The 12 tribes. If you're not reading carefully, you think those are 12 direct sons of Jacob. That's not the case. Read what we just read. 
God includes Jacob at the end of his life, says, I am adopting my grandkids. Ephraim and Manasseh are his grandkids. But he says, no, they are now my boys. In other words, as his inheritance, his heritage goes to his direct sons, now Ephraim and Manasseh are direct blessings. If you look at the 12 tribes called Israel, when God gives them the possession of land, Ephraim and Manasseh get land, blessing, favor, presence of God. They should be excluded, but God chooses to speak to Jacob at the end of his life and says, I'm including these. What am I saying? I'm saying faith is a process, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob grow what about you? Are you growing? Do you want to grow? Are you hearing more, learning more, trusting more, stepping out more, or are you in decline? You're going in either of two directions. You're drawing closer to Jesus or you are pushing him away. And I use that phrase precisely. You're not just floating away. You're pushing Jesus away or you're inviting him close. But no matter where we are in the spectrum, I want you to hear this. God can use anyone. This is so good. God can use anyone. God can use a liar and a cheat. And God can use the kids of a foreign wife to be included as agents of blessing. So it's not how you start that matters. Because some of you, you had no control of your start. Ephraim and Manasseh, that's not their fault. But God can include them in blessing. And so some of you, you had a bad start or you're in a bad middle, right? Can I just say to you in Jesus' name, that's not your end. God has given you the ability to receive his son Jesus. And in receiving Jesus, you get, hear this, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit himself living, residing in you so that you can know what God thinks know how God feels, and have the power to do what God would do if God were in your shoes. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You have access to God himself. Abraham's a friend of God, and so are you. So God wants at the end of your life to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, enjoy the master's reward. You're in. There's blessing for you. So the goal of faith is to become more like Jesus so you can grow. may not seem like it, but you can grow and you can change and you can be like one of the 12 who has a bad start and a great ending. So, bottom line question, what will be your legacy? Like I'm 22 and I got student loans. Why are you talking about legacy? Like, legacy? Yeah, because at the end of your days, if you do a tombstone or a memorial, they're not going to give all the details of your life. You're going to get a phrase. Or in your family history, 100 years from now, if Jesus doesn't return and someone sees a photo, they're going to say one thing about you. What will it be? I want to say to all my family here today that you and your family and your heritage can be different because of Jesus. So let's, let's not wallow in our failure. Let's bring our failure to God and His grace and let's 
let's fall on our knees in front of Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I'm more like Jacob than Israel. <laughs> Same guy, two different names, right? I'm more like the old guy. But in Jesus, I am Israel. In Jesus, I am who you say I am, and I'll be who you say I'll be. And so I want to participate with you, Lord Jesus, and see your kingdom come in my world in the now. So it's never too late to turn back to God. It's never too late until it's too late. So, writer of Hebrews, as long as it is today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart, right? So now what do we do? Hopefully you're stirred. Let's respond. We've set up opportunities for you to respond. The, the next songs weren't just made up. They are invitations for you to vocalize a response to God that is faith-filled and say, God, here I am. I want to follow you. And then we're going to come to the bread and the cup because that is the invitation to grace. It's the place where you can say, this week I was more like Jacob. But because of you, Jesus, I am born anew. I'm filled with the life of God. I'm forgiven and I will be set free. Jesus, here I am. I repent. This is your opportunity to respond. What's your legacy going to be? The step that you take now can mark the direction of the next 10 years of your life. Let's take steps of faith together. Amen.